All right, so this morning, we are continuing on with our series, Mentored, Mentored in the Faith, Following Jesus as Disciples. And last week, we began with the introduction, beginning with the Beatitudes, uh, Blessed Are You, and also the identity that we have in Christ, that you are the salt and light of the world. But also, too, we're talking some about this idea of disciple. And in our culture, disciple often gets elevated to super-Christian. You know, that's for somebody who's super faithful, super Christian, they are disciples. You know, that's actually not what Jesus meant. He meant, when he said disciples, he meant all of us. That everybody who follows him would be a disciple. And, you know, we hear disciple and we think super Christian. So I'm kind of using the word apprentice, that we would be an apprentice. And I was drawing from, from Dave Ringheim's work as a, as a teacher at Silker College in the fine woodworking, um, that he apprentices people. Not only does he teach them theory, different types of wood, different types of, of uh, practices, but he also shows them how to do it, and they practice doing it. And so that's what I am getting at for us this week uh, over this series, is that not only do we know theology and about how to follow Jesus, we actually practice it as well. So if you remember last week, we, came, we started with two things in this introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began first with the Beatitudes. He began with grace. And then Jesus talked about our identity of who we are. You are salt and light. So before he even gives one command, he begins with grace and our identity. And then he says, I have not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so we see Jesus holds the scriptures high. He has this high regard for the word of God. Well, this week we're moving into Jesus as he begins fulfilling these laws, filling them full, so to speak. And I think I want to say too is I realized last week that I crammed probably about for maybe 10 sermons into one sermon. So um, today we're going to uh, just take it a little bit slower. We're going to uh, work with just the first um, command that Jesus fulfills or fills full. And then we're going to work a little bit slower through the Sermon on the Mount. I realized I was putting uh, some, own, some pressure on myself and we were going too fast. So we're going to slow down a little bit, take each piece um, more carefully. And then when it comes to Easter, we'll have a short break and some time focusing on the cross and the resurrection and then get back into the Sermon on the Mount just to give you a heads up of what's coming. All right, so this week, <clears throat> we're focusing on the, um, the first command that Jesus addresses. And so talking about mentored, about what it means to follow Jesus, one of the things that we need to do as followers of Jesus is tame your anger. So we're going to get into this. All right, so... The thing is, as I've been studying it this week, this passage has been uh, surprisingly um, poignant for me. I was thinking, you know, like, oh, this is one's pretty short, pretty to the point. And as I started studying it and getting into it, man, it, God has been working on me. So one of the things I realized, too, this last week is that we live in a pretty graceless society. I mean, you don't have to uh, live too much before you realize, man, People get angry and they stay angry. There's not a lot of grace. I mean, just drive down the highway for a little while and you can see people's anger. Or just uh, go spend some time on social media for a bit and you can see people's graceless anger. So it's out of control. Anger in our society is out of control. And so how do we as followers of Jesus, one, not get sucked into living that way, but also live a counterculture, live a different way, live as kingdom people around us, that aren't consumed with anger. But it's also, as I said, this passage um, from Matthew has been harder than I thought. Um, it's been more challenging. Um, don't worry, it's the, the murder part's not hard for me. That part I'm doing just fine on. It's the anger part that I struggle with. So 
<clears throat> I was thinking about this too this last week. I'm, you know, as far as guys go, I, I'm kind of more on the gentle side. Um, I still lose my temper once in a while, don't get me wrong, um, especially when I'm already kind of at the end of my rope, when I've filled my week too full of stuff or I've tried to do too many things at the same time, uh, I lose my temper. But I started asking this question as I'm reading this passage because Jesus takes anger pretty seriously in the Sermon on the Mount. So what do I do with my anger? How do I handle it when I've lost my temper? More importantly, how do we uh, become the sort of people, how do we become the sort of people who reconcile our differences with people, with others, especially people we've hurt? Those are key questions that I have. Maybe some of you have asked these questions too, or maybe you're already starting to think, oh yeah, anger, that is a good one, Jason. Um, Because some of us here, we have anger and we deal with it in different ways. Some of us deal with anger with passive aggression. You know, we don't overtly get angry with people, we just use passive aggression. Little things, little side comments, little picks, um, little barbs with people. Or maybe we pressure people to do what we want, and then when they don't do what we want, we make sure that they know that we're upset with them. Passive aggression. Maybe some of us have a slow burn. We are fuming on the inside, but on the outside, we just keep quiet. And maybe we give a stern look to someone once in a while to let them know that we're not happy, but our anger is just building on the inside. Some of us deal with anger like that. And some of us uh, just explode. Anger, you don't even get a second. They have a fuse about this short, and you say one wrong thing or make one uh, wrong move, and the anger comes out. So we all deal with anger. Now, um, the thing is, like, how do we start working through? I mean, Jesus makes some pretty big claims about anger. And it gets us asking, you know, how do we handle it? What do we do with our anger? Well, that's why, again, why I love the Word of God. Because the Word of God is not just theology um, that sort of doesn't ever matter in life. The Word of God matters in our life right now and deals with real issues in our lives, like, for example, anger. So, Let's dig into it, all right? So, uh, Jesus begins with the first law. So this is Matthew chapter 5, if you want to open your Bible, if you want to open up your bulletin. uh, On the inside is the the passage as well. We're just going to work through it bit by bit. Um, So the first thing that Jesus says here, he says, he begins with the first, actually with the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So as I just said, that this comes from the sixth commandment, all right, of the famous Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, for those of you who are still just kind of entering into faith, the Ten Commandments, uh, God gave them to Moses to give to the people of Israel after he had led them out of Israel. God had saved them, sorry, out of, out of uh, Egypt, sorry. He had led Israel out of Egypt. So he had brought the people out of Egypt, and he made a new covenant with them. And part of that covenant was this Ten Commandments, which was part of God's law, of how they should live with him as a nation of priests, as a new people of God. So it's interesting that, that Jesus here starts with the sixth commandment. I'm kind of interested, you know, why doesn't he start with the first commandment, for example? But he starts here with the sixth. I wonder if maybe because the sixth commandment uh, is one of the shorter commandments. In Hebrew, it's actually only two words. Um, and to translate them in English, it's basically, don't murder. That's the commandment, two words. And the thing is, I wonder if maybe because it was short, if it left um, more room to interpretation, all right? 
Okay, so what does he mean by not murder? What does he mean by not kill? Not only that, but also because murder, um, in our culture, in our culture especially, um, it's not a very high bar for us. I'm looking around the room here. I don't think any of you have murdered anybody. Um, hope so. Um, but murder is not a particularly high bar for us. Most of us aren't very aren't uh, tempted by murder. Um, but it's interesting here because uh, the word that that's used in Hebrew is uh, ratzah um, for murder, and the word that uh, Jesus uses is getting at that. And you know, in the the King James version, for example, it says, "Thou shall not kill." And I think kill is too broad of an English word. Um, in that kill, people have take that to mean like, so do I not kill? an animal like a cow to eat beef? Do I not kill a fish to eat fish? What about, what about wars? What about, um, about penal execution? You know, like um, death penalties sort of thing. That's not what, what God is saying here. That's not what Jesus is saying. The word is murder. It's about murdering people. Uh, so it's, very, it's more specific than just killing. Um, the thing is, the, this, if we were to just to follow the letter of the law, Everybody in this room, so far as I know, would be just fine. None of you have murdered anyone. So, you're all doing great. Until Jesus says this next thing. Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother, or sister for that matter, will be subject to judgment. Wait, what? Anger? Yeah. But the first thing I want to say here, Let's take this apart. First, he says, Jesus says, but I tell you. And it's emphatic in the Greek. It says, but I, I say to you. It'd be like, so uh, in Jesus' day, he's saying the law says this, the Ten Commandments say this, but I, I say to you. It'd be like Jesus, if he walked into this church and said, the Bible says to you, don't murder. But I, I say to you, don't even get angry. This is a big thing that Jesus is doing. Jesus is putting himself even above the Torah. That Jesus, his authority supersedes even the Torah. And 2,000 years later, we kind of get a sense of that. We are okay with that because we realize who Jesus is. That he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. That he is the Son of God. And so we realize because of all of that, he gets to do this. And it has authority. It would have been really tempting in Jesus' day to say, whoa, wait a minute, this guy is a heretic, we're not listening to him because he just put himself above Torah. But we realize who Jesus is, and so it holds weight for us. All right, and we begin to realize that, that God, that Jesus, the Word of God, has authority to help us understand, to reshape, to fulfill the words of God, the Scriptures. And so, we say, or we hear the, the Old Testament says, thou shalt not murder. And we hear Jesus say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, don't even get angry. All right. So, and we realize this, that Jesus has come to reveal the Father. So this is Jesus. Has, one of his things that he's come to do is to reveal to us, reveal who God is, reveal the right way to relate to him, to take God's law and to fill it full. I think that's part of what he was saying when he said, I've come not to destroy, but to fulfill. To fill the law full. And we see this right now as Jesus begins filling the law full. Not just murdering people, 
but also addressing our anger, the underlying root cause of murder. And it's interesting here because Jesus' goal is not just compliance, okay? It's not just that we wouldn't murder, though that's a great place to start. (laughs) But it's actually a change of heart. Because murder is the action, right? Anger is the heart issue. Jesus is addressing the heart. He desires a transformed heart. He's pressing beyond just compliance to a new way of living, to a new way of relating to people. Jesus wants obedience, that's true. He wants us to not murder. But he wants it to come from a heart that desires to bless people. I mean, if you are angry and you want to kill people and you don't, bless you. That's a great place to begin. But that's not Jesus' desire. His desire is that we would have a heart that doesn't even desire to hurt people, that actually desires to bless people. And as we're going to see as we get into this, a desire to reconcile with people. All right. So Jesus takes this law and fulfills it. He fills it full. But Okay, so he says, but anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Angry. Just angry. I'm thinking, okay, so the murder part I can handle. The anger part, man, Jesus, that is tough to comply with. That is tough to do. Because I don't know about any of you. Maybe this is just an issue I struggle with, but I get angry. I get frustrated. I get overwhelmed. I get angry. I want to make a couple things here. And this is not just to let myself off the hook. This is to explain what Jesus is saying here. The word angry, um, one, is um, we have to understand that anger happens in Scripture. I mean, God gets angry. There are people who get angry, like in terms of like angry at things that have been wrong. So, for example, I think it's understandable if I would get angry if somebody did something wrong to someone I cared about, if somebody hurt a loved one or a friend of mine. I would be, it'd be understandable to be angry. So I don't think it's so much just that, like all anger, period. I think Jesus is talking about some, some specific things here. Um, and the thing is, too, I mean, part of it, there are parts of our anger that are... They just happen. Like losing our temper, for example. We lose our temper temper and it flares up. Okay, sometimes that happens. And we have a way to work through that. We have a way to, to reconcile with our friends or our neighbors, with the people that we have lost our temper with. We have a God that we can ask for forgiveness from. So there is help for us when we lose our temper. But it's also that we don't just stop there. We don't just ask God for forgiveness. We actually have a responsibility to go and reconcile with the people that we have lost our temper with. So as Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, so Paul, speaking this now, says, in your anger, do not sin. The assumption kind of, if you read it carefully, the assumption there is, you know, when you lose your, or when you lose your temper, when you have anger, don't sin because of it. So anger happens in our life. I realize that. But it's how we act. It's how we respond despite it that Jesus is after this morning. And it's interesting here because this word angry is actually, in the Greek, it's actually a participle, which is a technical term. You don't need to worry about that. Basically, it means don't stay angry. Don't keep being angry with your brother or your sister in faith. Don't keep being angry. 
If you've lost your temper, go make things right. But don't stay angry. Don't nurse a grudge. I've been listening to Professor Bruner, Dale Bruner, um, uh, uh, wrote a commentary on Matthew. And he was talking about that, this idea of nursing a grudge, keeping it warm so that it's ready to flare up in a moment's notice. Don't do that. That's the sort of anger that Jesus is talking about here, this nursing a grudge, keeping it warm and ready to flare up in a moment's notice. Jesus is urging us to not be angry like that. And then he, Jesus gives us some examples. So he says, Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. All right, this is a couple words here. These are kind of different. Raka is, um, you know, it's actually, they're guessing that it's um, an Aramaic word, meaning empty. So kind of like you airhead. All right, so talking about their intelligence, that's kind of the best guess, is that it's talking about calling someone stupid. Um, the other one is, you fool, is translated in English. Actually, in Greek, the word is more, um, from which, like the Greek base or the Greek root from which we get the word moron, right? I can see Anna, I see your mouth, right? Moron. But in the ancient world, actually, moron was not just like, like stupid, like you were brain dead, or, um, but actually that you were foolish, you made foolish choices. So Moray was someone who not only was uh, foolish, but actually rebelled against God. They, they considered that foolishness. So um, in, in Professor Bruner's the, in commentary, he was talking about how um, raka was an insult against someone's intelligence. You fool or Moray was an insult, was condemning their heart, the choices that they made. And so he's saying, when you make these sort of comments, that stupid idiot, or that, that rebellious fool, those things are liable to judgment. And he says, to talk about this too, it's indicative of an unrepentant heart. Because when we re- realize how God has forgiven us, when we realize how deeply we sin against God and yet he still forgives us, it makes it difficult to be angry with others. It makes, us difficult, makes it difficult for us to hold a grudge. I think, I think you could say this, that the extent we stay angry with other people is the extent to which we have failed to realize God's grace in our lives. The extent at which we stay angry with other people is the extent at which we have failed to, re- or to realize God's grace in our lives. The more we realize God's grace in our life, the less we are able to stay angry with people. That's not to say that we don't lose our temper. It's not to say that there are things that are right that we should be angry about, like injustices or hurts to people we care about, or even people um, that we don't even know. It's a right to be angry about those things. But when we don't forgive, that says more about our understanding of grace than about what people have done wrong. Okay? So, now here's the thing. He says, if you're angry, you're liable to judgment. If you say, rakai, you airhead, you're liable to the Sanhedrin. Or if you say, you fool, it's the dangers of the fire of hell. Now, it's interesting because... um, the first, like in English, they all seem a little bit different. And it can give the impression that Jesus is talking about tears here. 
Um, like the first tier is if you, if you say, if you're angry, that's tier one. You're liable to judgment. Well, in the ancient, like murder was liable to judgment. <laughs> and so I think Jesus is understanding here and everybody else around him understood that this judgment is God's judgment, not just the court. I mean, because I mean, who would ever try you for being angry, right, in a, in a human court? This is judgment before God. Or two, it says answerable to the Sanhedrin. This last one is, uh, will be in danger of the fire of hell. All of these things are talking about judgment, judgment before God. And in Greek, they're actually, the wording is very similar. It's liable to. Here in English, they're a little bit different, each one, but in Greek, they're very similar. So all these things are meant to be held together. But if we lose our temper and we, keep, and we hold that grudge or we nurse that grudge, we fail to make amends or reconcile with people, it's liable to judgment, even to the fires of hell. Now, it's pretty steep, right? Because we're thinking, you know, Jason, I haven't murdered anybody. I think I'm doing pretty good. But Jesus just upped the bar to anger as well. All right. So Jesus doesn't just stop there. He gives us some concrete ways of what this looks like. First, it begins with a fellow believer. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in the front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. This is a big deal. This would be like speaking to a church and saying, if you are in the middle of a worship song on Sunday morning and you realize that your Christian brother has something against you, walk out of worship, get in your car and go make amends with them. That's how serious it is. This reveals this connection with us. The connection between our horizontal relationship with people and how it affects our vertical relationship with God. We can't separate the two. The two are interconnected. And sometimes we get or, or we delude ourselves into thinking that I can have all sorts of problems with people around me and I can still be fine with God. It's not true. Stop telling yourself that. It's not true. Our horizontal relationships with people, especially our church family, affect our vertical relationship with God. In this passage, Jesus, Jesus even prioritizes reconciliation with our brother and sister, even above worship. He's saying, I mean, we often think like, oh, worship is the highest priority. Here, Jesus suggests otherwise. He says, even if you're in the middle of worshiping God, go and make things right. Go and reconcile with people. Then he says this. He says, with your brother. He's not talking about your blood relative. He's talking about your brother or sister in Christ, a member of the church. Jesus was talking with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Not a suggestion, not a best practice, a command. Love one another. And this is how people will know you, by your love. They will know us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, by the way we love each other. And one of the ways we love each other well is we reconcile our differences. We come and we ask for forgiveness and we give it to each other. 
we work things through as a church family. And then Jesus says, probably the hardest part for me the whole week. He says, if someone has something against you, he doesn't say, if you have something against somebody else, he says, if they have something against you. Because it's easy. Because this is part of I'm thinking like, you know, I'm not angry with anybody. And yet I know that there are people in our church family who are angry with me. <laughs> okay, God, what do I do with this? I'm realizing I need to go and talk with them. I need to go and talk with them. And do the best I can to be reconciled. And this is one of the places where I'm not sure if, if Professor Bruner had it quite right, but he was saying, um, the, the Greek here, he's saying anything at all. And I don't think that's quite what Jesus meant. I don't quite agree with him there, but it is. it does push us to reconcile our differences with each other. But then I realized this as well. That Jesus is speaking, he says, therefore, this this whole passage is connected to the part above. It's connected to, in your anger, don't sin. So it's talking about the things that we say when we're angry with people, like airhead, or you fool. When we say things like this, we have to go reconcile. But I think Jesus would delight in it as well, even if we hadn't said something like that, and we have some sort of disagreement with somebody, that we would go and be reconciled. We have to be careful here because Jesus is not just giving us a new law. He's not giving us a new set of rules to, um, to try and check off. Remember, he's after our heart, a heart change in us. Not just that we can say that, you know, I didn't kill anybody and I haven't called anybody a fool. But he's after a heart change in us that we would reconcile differences with each other. And then he gives this next example. He says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, it could be that Jesus is talking just about like, a, like, a, like loaned money or something. But I can see in our current situation where you do something like you... You get angry with somebody, and you break their stuff, or something goes wrong and they sue you. Jesus is saying, like, make amends quickly. Do the best you can to reconcile things before you go. Because of things like if someone is suing you because you've done something wrong to them, because you lost your temper, I mean, you're going to the court, like money for lawyers and all that, let alone the judgment that comes out of that. Try and make things right. He says, make things right quickly, on your way. And as I was reading across commentaries, they all said the same thing. Imagine how, how much better things could be if we reconciled things quickly rather than letting things blow up and go wrong and get worse. Go quickly and work things out. I think all this drives us back to the Beatitudes, to the grace at the beginning. Blessed are you. These things remind us that, like, I don't know how you guys do with anger, but I feel like I need help. <laughs> I need grace. 
I need the Holy Spirit to keep working in me and changing me. Jesus talked about, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, the people who cultivate, who make peace. They are sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the merciful, people who forgive, because they will be forgiven. It reminds us that we need Jesus in this. Okay, what Jesus is calling us to here is not natural human behavior. It's not how we are naturally. Naturally, we are tit for tat. We are eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You wound me, I will wound you back double so you don't do it again. That's human nature. In fact, it even seems like human nature is more... I think that you might say something mean to me or you might hurt me, so I'm going to preemptively hurt you to even dissuade you from even that. So violence, anger, rage, it grows in our society. Jesus calls us to live as different people, a different sort of people. Okay, so this is what Jesus is talking about. How do we work through it? And I think again of this idea of woodworking, of a mentor, of apprentice, thinking of a planer, um, and how, I mean, I'm going to talk like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. <laughs> but those of you who've used a planer, you know that a planer um, doesn't cut big chunks of wood off all at once. It shaves pieces off. You can see it here. This is a shave of wood. And it takes repeated effort to get the shape that you want, to remove the material that you don't want there to remove, for example, say, anger. Some of you are angry because you have things in your past that you can't shake. Things that have happened to you that, have, um, that you resent or you are bitter about. Those are big things. And I'm not going to belittle them by giving you like quick tips on how to handle that right now. If you have deep-seated stuff in your life, deep-seated anger or resentment or bitterness, come and talk with me because I want to help you work through it because that stuff bubbles up when we least expect it. And it leads us to say and do things that when we afterward we feel ashamed that we've done and we have to go and apologize. If you have deep-seated stuff, come talk with me. The other thing is um, chronic pain. <laughs> I was thinking about that this week. Chronic pain can make us short. And that's not an easy thing that you just give some quick tips on. So if that's something else that you realize makes you angry is chronic pain or makes your temper short because you're constantly in pain, come talk with me. Let's work on it together. Okay, those two big things aside, they're things that we can still do. They're things that we can do in our lives because one of the other things that brings anger is stress from doing too much or being overwhelmed. So the first thing that we can do is live slower. I'm serious. I can speak from my own experience. Live slower with more margin in our lives. And I, I stand before you probably one of the biggest hypocrites in the church about this. I pack my life too full. And so when somebody says, hey, I need a hand, or hey, can we meet up, I either have to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't. Can we do it next week or next month? Or I see how important it is and I say, yes, I can come. I can meet you there. And then I end up working 
on Saturday. <laughs> I end up working all the time. <laughs> this week, actually, um, uh, a friend of mine, a neighbor, said, hey, uh, I need some help at my farm. Can you come help? And so on Monday, I'm thinking, no, I can't, <laughs> but I will. And so, like the whole week, just gets crunched. And I do that sort of thing repeatedly. And I can see how it makes me short because I'm trying to squeeze too much in to the time that I have. So live slower with more margin in our lives. The next one is give thanks. You know, when things go wrong, it is easy to, to not give thanks. It is easy to complain and to grumble, to get bitter and to live bitterly. But when we start giving thanks, <laughs> I was talking with the kids today about, man, I feel sorry for my kids. I've had to apologize to my kids. I can't even tell you how many times when I drop them off at school. I'm sorry that I, that I yelled at you guys this morning. When I start giving thanks, like I am grateful for those boys. I am grateful that we live in a country where they can go to school. I am grateful that we live in the place that we do. It's hard to stay angry too long. So give thanks. And I understand, you know, like it's not really probably realistic for in the moment when your, temp, when your temper's already boiling over to say, I'm grateful for this. But if we practice gratefulness the rest of the time, it helps with the temper. <laughs> so give thanks. The other one is delay gratification. And this one I'm talking more about money. Because money and problems with money stresses us out. And stress leads to anger. So delay gratification. Wait to buy something until you can afford it. And if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Sometimes we think, oh, I want this right now, and I've got the money right now, and da-da-da, and I go buy it, and then next thing you know, I'm like, okay, now how do I pay my electric bill? How do I work this out? Delay gratification. <laughs> Have a plan, and then work the plan. It's when we don't have a plan and we just go through life that things get crazy. And when we are overwhelmed, stress comes in and, we're able to, and we find ourselves living in our temper. The next one is care for yourself. What I mean is make sure you get enough sleep. I mean, they talk about like the average person in North American society tries to live on like six, five or six hours of sleep at night. Like people aren't meant to function on that little sleep. Get enough sleep. Eat better. Eat well. Eat healthy. Exercise. They've proven that. Exercise helps with stress. Now, I, even as I hear myself saying this right now, I'm like, come on, Jason. Is this, this is just self-help mumbo-jumbo. But you know what? In my own life, I have experienced, and granted, it's a small thing, but it all adds up. I see how exercising helps me reduce stress. And I see how getting enough sleep helps me reduce stress. And I see how all of that helps me reduce stress and how that makes me way more patient with people around me. I cringe to think what I would be like if I didn't get enough sleep or if I was eating badly or wasn't exercising and still have my week packed as full as I do, as, <laughs> as sinfully as I do. It all matters. And this is the last one, and I saved this one for the last because this is the one I have, above all the other things, I want you to remember. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with him in the morning. 
Make that a priority. So that's the first thing that you do or one of the first things that you do. Spend time with Him. Get your heart right before you set, the, before you set out on the day. Spend time with Him. And maybe it's spending time with Him saying, God, I feel angry a lot. Help me with this. Where does this anger come from? What can I do, God, to start working it out? Because I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to say and do things against my brothers or sisters. God, I want help with this. Spend time with Jesus. So this is the first thing we can do. So as I hear, as I'm reading through this passage this week, I'm thinking, one, Jesus addresses our anger. So shave our anger. The next thing, now this part I do get. I've never really used a planer. I have used lots of glue. <laughs> when things are broken, reconcile them. Reconcile differences. Go to your brother or sister. Go to your neighbor and say, you know what? I'm not sure if this offended you or not, but I feel like I said this to you and I don't feel right about it. I apologize. You'd be amazed at what happens. And it's true. It's a risk. There'll be people who say, you know what? I don't care what you say. Get off my property. But I'm willing to bet more often than not, people are going to say, well, I appreciate you saying that. And I forgive you. And then who knows what happens from there? Especially in the church. But we need to do this. We say, please forgive me. I said this to you and I regret it now. Forgive me. And how we grow tighter together as a church. And how that speaks to the community around us. Reconcile our differences. So as I'm thinking about kind of where do we go <clears throat> with what Jesus has taught this morning, I'm thinking of these two woodworking tools. A planer that shaves off the things in our life that's anger. You know, you might find some big chunk in your life that you can modify or change and it helps with anger in huge ways. Bless you, I hope you do. I think most of us are going to have to go to the planer and just shave off a few pieces at a time. Practices that help us to help us stay patient with people, that we don't lose our, lose our temper and become angry. So the first one's a planer, the second one is glue. When we do blow up, when we do break things, that we reconcile with people. That we go and we apologize, we ask for forgiveness. Because here's the thing, the more we ask for forgiveness, the easier it gets. And the more we try not to or refuse to ask for forgiveness, the harder it gets. And who wants to live like that? Will you just go through life building up resentment and bitterness and shame? When you say, I'm sorry, let's all that go. It sets you free. You can clear a slate with somebody. Bring joy in your life and it makes it easier to forgive them or to ask others for forgiveness. I see it's two spirals. One goes up, one goes down. If we will ask for forgiveness, if we will reconcile with people. Imagine just for a moment, how we could grow even closer together as a church. <laughs> if we were listening to these words of Jesus and we were shaving anger in our lives. Maybe you do begin with getting more sleep. Or maybe you do begin working on the underlying issues in your life that make you angry or bitter. Whatever it is, imagine if we began working on those things. Or imagine if we went, and I'm thinking already, like, 
people this week that I need to call. And we started, work, started reconciling differences, saying, I'm, I know there's something between us, I'd like to work it out. Forgive me for my part. Imagine what that begins to look like in our church. How we grow as salt and light, as followers of Jesus. How that changes not only our lives here in this church, we become salt and light in the community around us. And this, this teaching is way harder than I thought. When I started this morning, I thought, man, how am I going to fill up time with this? How am, I, how am I going to make this sermon any more than 10 minutes? And it has grown and grown. Because there's tons here, because we start talking about anger, that's big stuff. And so I want to encourage us to keep following Jesus. Keep reading these words. Keep shaving anger. If there's things we can do, practices to shave anger, and things with people that we need to reconcile with. Amen.